Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, mothers and fathers, um, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. While you turn there, let's begin with prayer. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us as surely as you spoke to Moses from the burning bush, as you spoke to him thundering from Sinai, as you spoke to Samuel in the night. Father, I pray that you would speak to us clearly, that you would speak to us your word, your revealed word carried by your Spirit, that you would apply those words to our hearts, to our minds, to our actions. Really and truly, you begin a good work in us and you carry us to completion. You do not just justify, but you also sanctify us. And so, Father, now this morning, we submit ourselves to your sovereign will, to your ordinary means yet beautiful means by which you preserve your church. So, Father, be with us now as we enter into your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's a new year. We're back into our series on Genesis, and um, I I had initially planned on preaching through Genesis through December, through the Advent series, and then... um, kind of got stuck in Abimelech in trying to make Abimelech an Advent sermon, and so we changed course and we punted it to here. And um, while it was a difficult uh, text, I, mean, I, I don't know many people where the Abimelech narrative with Abraham is just one of their favorite stories in the Bible. It seems mundane. Um, it, it doesn't even get into many of the kids' Bible, particularly because of the content but in God's providence, by, by, because I um, punted it for six weeks, um, by God's grace, um, I had it in the back of my mind for the last six weeks. Um, and it's just been an encouragement to my own heart. Um, and so let me, let me just give you the bottom line up front, and then we'll read uh, and go through the text. Um, scratch that. Let's begin with reading. Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you're a dead man. Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? She herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. 
Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return to the man's wife. Return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. They'll kill me because of my wife because she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. She became my wife. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, behold, My land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. If you're following in your own Bible, go to 21:22 to pick up the Abimelech narrative. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You didn't tell me. I haven't heard about it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Beloved, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God. As this story has sat on me for the Uh, just in in the back of my mind for the last 
month, month and a half. You know, because it's a story that is reiterated twice. I think it's two distinct historical events. But the same thing happens. If you remember, Abraham did this before with, um, with Pharaoh, and he's had interactions with Abimelech before as well. And there as well, he, he gives up Sarai at that point. She pretends to be just his sister. But time has passed now, and now the Bible essentially gives us the same story. And we want, you know, why would it reiterate the same story? What's the point? Well, I think if we, if we just think of it that way, it might be confusing, but if we think about the same sin happening again, maybe a decade has passed, maybe probably multiple decades have passed, Abraham has been called a righteous man. He believes God, and God credits that to him as righteousness. He is a true believer walking with God. And yet, the sins of his past come back, and they come back. And even though God isn't speaking here, he isn't a character here that's speaking, he is in the background. He, he speaks to Abimelech explicitly. He is the sovereign king here. But the God that is here is also the God that we worship. And so as, as I wrestled with this for the last six weeks, I think about how many sins in my own life, you know, crop back up. Do you have sin in your life that, you know, it's, you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years now, 30 years now, 40 years now, 50 years now, and some of the same sins come back? Bitterness, anxiousness, frustration, Petty covetousness, lying, lust. And it's encouraging to me. It is encouraging to me. In, in, the, first, in the first story with Abraham and Pharaoh, we, we see God sovereignly blessing him. He, he hasn't really come to, he hasn't had that come to faith moment. It, we don't have that line, he believed God and it's credited to him as righteousness yet. But now he has. I think, I think for some believers, as we walk with the Lord, it's, it's, it is easy for us to feel forgiven for sins kind of before our conversion. It's easy to go, of course God forgives me of that. I, I became a Christian after that. I was in darkness and now I'm in light. But beloved, the same gracious sovereign king that saves us is also the same sovereign king that sanctifies us. I, I, I don't quite know even, even how to go through this line by line. There, there's many themes in this. You, you see some kind of change. It's a little less explicit. Let's go to verse 2. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she's said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. It's kind of softening the language that's it's used last time, you know. We, we have these excuses, you know, we're, we're a little less explicit about our sin. May, maybe that's what's going on. And so Abimelech takes her into his harem. And, and we've talked about this a, a few times, but in the, in the ancient world, there's no, there's no police. There's no kind of common law in many places. There's the beginnings of it in some of the more prominent cities, but this is the Wild West, essentially. 
There's very little law. Might makes right. The strong king in the area. Essentially, all the women are his, and he gets to parcel them out and assign them to marry. So he's not just um, going, oh, the, you know, the, in the earlier one, it says she's beautiful, so she's taken into the harem. You know, this time, he just takes her into the harem. It's, it's essentially all the women are his. Kind of a, br- a brutal, it's a brutal world. The strong man is the king. What he says is law. And so he takes her into his ham- harem, common, common practice at that time, although still abominable in God's sight. Just because Abraham is sinning does not justify Abimelech's sin, obviously. And so God speaks to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman that you've taken. You are guilty of sin. And then Abimelech goes, I didn't know. I, you know, I didn't just take her f- into my harem, uh, uh, you know, unknowingly. Like, the, the, uh, they lied. It's like, like, some, like a husband's lie can justify you just grabbing a woman and bringing her into your harem. That doesn't justify it. And, but the Lord responds, even graciously with Abimelech. Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Don't, she said she was my sister. I did this in the, integrity of my, in the integrity of my heart. I was building my harem. God said to him in his dream, yes, I know. Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of heart. Why? It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. This sovereign king, even, sorry, the, the sovereign king of the cosmos, God, and this uh, little K king in this local area, the reason he is not in the hein- most heinous of sin is because God is actively laying hold of his life and holding him back. Do you wrestle with sin? Does it keep cropping up like it does in my life? In Psalm 19, one of the final prayers is he says, hold me back from presumptuous sins, then, then I can be righteous. For for those who believe in a God that is sovereign, even over the actions of our lives. Now, Abimelech still made a choice and is still guilty of sin, but, but God is sovereign and Abimelech is responsible, or both. And the reason he is not guilty of worse sin is because God laid hold of his life and held him back. Do you pray that way? Do you, God, hold, lay hold of my life. Hold me back from presumptuous sins. So he goes on. He, the Lord tells him to have Abraham pray for him because he is a prophet and you'll live. One of the things we see, we see federal theology here. We see that uh, Abimelech was guilty of sin, but the effects of a king's sin affect all of his people. The effect of a leader's sin affect all of their people. Abimelech's sin, this has had to have been going on for a number of months because you don't take someone into your harem for a day and then know that all the women in, in your extended harem are, are not able to conceive. Not being able to conceive in the ancient world, this is 8 through 12, not being able to conceive, is, this is a sign of God's curse. Abraham has been living in this for months because he fears, he is afraid. Remember, we saw earlier with Abraham that he, Abraham and Sarah, they believe God's promises, but they don't trust his means of accomplishing them. They think God has promised that he'll build up a nation through us, 
And so they, they t- kind of take it into their own hands to accomplish that. That is the temptation. And so we see here a worldly wisdom and yet cowardice on Abraham's part. If we skip down to verse 10, Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought. The Bible is very pro-thinking, but sometimes our thinking is our worst enemy. I thought. There's no fear of God at all in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Is that worldly wisdom works? There's no fear of God at all in this place. That's very, that's very earthly level wisdom. There is no fear of God. I am at risk of dying. And yet God has promised to raise up a nation by him. So when he is saying, there is no fear of God at this place, they will kill me here, I'm not trusting right now. Sin and faith are tied. He is not trusting in the promises of God. He has... He has been tempted and he is reverting he is reverting back to the old man to use Paul's language if you're in Christ you're a new creation and so we should walk in that Paul in in, in Colossians he says you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son you are a new man set your mind on the things above and then he goes on in Colossians 3 to go you know because you're a new man put on the new man And we see here a moment of a saint. He is in the hall of faith. He believes God and it is credited to him as righteousness. But he still has days where he does not believe. He has days where he does not trust. He has days where he stumbles and falls. But the very depth to which he falls is precisely calibrated by God. He will fall this far and no further. Why? Because he is laying hold of him and holding him back from presumptuous sins. What a comfort. Do we pray this way? God, lay hold of me. Do not let me go too far. And it continues. God caused me to wander from my father's house. I said to her, this is the kindness that you'll do me in every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. And we're in verse 14 now. Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants. And we see, we see Abimelech here kind of in his own pagan way be the righteous king. In his, kind of in his own pagan way, he's the one abiding by kind of the, the good worldly morals. He sets up sheep and oxen. He essentially enters into a covenant. Um, he took uh, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, gave them to Abraham, returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell wherever you want. And, and to Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother. Love that little jab. <laughs> he knows that Abraham is the husband now. And he says, I've given your brother thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. Before everyone, you are vindicated. He is caring about her, her reputation. Abraham prayed to God. God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife. Female saves slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So that's kind of the, the first story, and then we have a, a, another. It, it, it's after the birth of Isaac. 
the, the fruit of God's promises begins to happen. And we see that, so, so how have I been encouraged by the story before we get into chapter 21? God knows that we will stumble and fall even after walking with him for decades. Do not think that the gracious God that died, sent his son, the God-man, to die for your sins can, can forgive like pre-conversion sin more than post-conversion sin. That as believers, we need to learn to run more and more to the cross. To, to um, The first point in the 95 Theses that Luther wrote, what was it? That, that when Christ spoke of living a life um, of dupe, it's, it's not about doing penance. The whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. We don't repent to enter. And then just like work really hard as Christians to maintain our standing. The reason we looked at the verses from the Westminster uh, Larger Catechism on sanctification was because so often we feel like, and many people will teach that, you know, salvation's of God, but sanctification, that's on me. Salvation is all of God beginning to end, but also he who begins a good work in us carries us to completion. The, the primary work that we are called to during this is one of belief and trust and faith, which produces good works. And so on the one side, we see Abraham stumbling. You know, uh, I had a beloved pastor who would say it this way, I'm, I, I know I'm not who I ought to be in Christ perfectly. But I also know I'm not who I used to be I know I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm also not who I used to be. So sometimes when we, we look at the perfect standard that we ought to be and that we will be at Christ's return, we can be discouraged. And so th- this, with, with Abraham, you see that he is, it's been decades, he's been walking with God and, and he still stumbles in his faith, and yet the, the main character behind the story, again, the main character of the Bible is God. And we see that God here is, see how gracious God is. Too often the Bible is divided old and new, law and grace. Everyone that walked with God walked with him by grace through faith. Even Abraham. If, if you have been walking with God for 10, 20, 30 years and there is sin in your life, maybe it's been going on for months like it has been in Abraham's life. Repent, run to the cross. The father that welcomes the prodigal child doesn't just welcome him on the day of conversion. The beauty of the gospel is that if the the prodigal goes back out and the father is then waiting again, the prodigal goes out and he is waiting again. Don't think, do not hear the lie of the devil if you feel like it's been too many times, it's been too long we, we recreate. You see, the, the prodigal son had this idea of this. Maybe the father will just deal with me like a servant. He turns him into a harsh taskmaster. Maybe we can believe that once, but can you believe it a second time, beloved? Can you believe it a third time, a fourth time? How many times? You know, the, the apostles wondered about this. How many times should we forgive? Seven times? 
And remember, what Christ commands is a reflection of the heart of God. He says 70 times 7. That tells you how many times the Father is there waiting for you to return. The call to repentance is not just a call to the unbeliever, beloved, but it's to people like me and people like you. Even if you've walked for decades with Him and need to repent, He still remains that loving, gracious Father waiting, calling all sinners, come home. So do not be discouraged, but we don't remain who we used to be. We do see that the Bible does show us that Abraham grows. He doesn't just just live in that cycle forever. There is some growth. We see this with Abraham and Phicol, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army. When, when, uh, um, when, uh, When you meet a ruler, you know, that might be a little bit stressful. When you meet a ruler and his general is right behind him, that's a little bit worse. Verse 22 of chapter 21. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you won't deal falsely with me. You see, Abraham now has a reputation in the community that God is with him. He says, don't deal falsely with me or with my descendants, or with my posterity. It, Abimelech here is being another good leader. He is not just looking out for his own skin, but the skin of his children and his children's children, for, for his people. He says, I've dealt kindly with you. Deal kindly with me. It's very normal, worldly, you know, tit for tat, quid pro quo. You know, I'll, I'll be good to you, you be good to me. God blesses you. I just want to, you know, I want to be um, on the side of someone who's on God's side. I don't know if you've ever met someone like this who, uh, they're not a Christian, but they have great reverence for like the holy man, the, you know, the, the holy people, the, uh, you know, uh, that's good. You know, hey, say a prayer for me, but I, I, I don't want to follow him, but it's good to be close to you. Deal with me in the land where you, uh, as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Abraham swears to this. This isn't like an illicit covenant um, the way it is in, in Joshua. This just seems like a normal worldly dealings. And then verse 25, Abraham reproves Abimelech. So, so time has passed. Verses 22 through 24 show that so, uh, uh, it's showing the context. They, they've made an arrangement and now maybe months or years have passed and now there's this disagreement over this well. Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well that Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You didn't tell me. I have not heard of it until today. He's like, I I didn't know. That's what my servants were doing. My hands are clean. I I didn't break the arrangement. So Abraham took sheep and oxen. Now Abraham is the one bringing out sheep and oxen to to make sure that that, uh, the the, the right things are done. And this time they enter into a covenant. He gives them to Abimelech. Even though Abraham has done nothing wrong, he is being generous here. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And we don't need to get, you know, uh, oddly metaphorical where we go, okay, there's seven, now I need to find seven. He sets apart seven from the flock. 
So these seven ewe lambs that you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place is called Beersheba, a word uh, off the word seven, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. We begin, and and Abraham is lapsing again and again into sins from when he was younger. And he is doing that because he is afraid. He is afraid of of what's going on in the world. He is afraid of Abimelech. He is afraid of what they might do. Um, Christians for a long time, at least in the United States, haven't had to fear of a lot of things that Christians have had to fear for a long time. But, I mean, beloved, we have brothers and sisters all across this county that have jobs that, you know, if it gets out that they're a Christian, if it, gets, if, if, if it got out at their workplace that they went to a church that said, um, marriage is an institution created by God for one biological male and one biological female. And that's God's design, and we should abide by it. If that got out, they would be ousted from work. They would be ostracized. And so we, you know, in a, in a day in which, you know, some of the pressures that we haven't, the church hasn't had to live under for the last few hundred years, at least in the United States, very much, we've always had it a, a little bit on a social level. It's, it's heating up. We are tempted We are tempted because we fear things more than we fear God. Abraham said, there's no fear of God in all this place. He he fears them because they don't fear God. And now Abraham is, he's standing before Abimelech and Phicol. One of his sons is going to have a similar interaction. He's just going to give it to him and back away and dig another well. We see him stand his ground. We see him enter into a covenant We see him providing for his people. So as I've thought about this, I mean, it's not exactly a a New Year's sermon with a very particular thing. But beloved, today is going to be just another year walking with the Lord. There will be days and weeks and months in which you lapse into sin from your past and you need to repent and turn to him. We also pray that hopefully, you know, we might not be who we ought to be, but hopefully we're not who we used to be. Hopefully we fall a little bit less, we rise a little bit quicker. And so, beloved, I mean, we could get to Jesus from this text in an odd way, I mean, we could get symbolic. We could talk about how Jesus is a better Abraham, which is true. We could talk about how Jesus enters into a better covenant that protects us as part of his family, and that is true. We could do that. But what I want us to just meditate on and cherish this morning, this God that is graciously, slowly sanctifying Abraham is the same God that is at work in your life. You fall into sin again. 
It's the same God. Repent, turn to him. He is truly a God of grace. Maybe you give up hope on changing. Well, look at Abraham. He falls into the same sin over and over and over again. But over decades, you know, he might not be who he ought to be, but he's not who he used to be also. That the life of the Christian isn't just one of fall into sin and repent, fall into sin and repent, but God actually makes progress on us. And that is all his doing and his work. Let me close in prayer as we transition to communion. Father God, as we sang earlier, we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Father, it is easy for me to give up hope as I try to pull myself up by my bootstraps, get discouraged when falling into the same patterns of behavior time and time and time again. But Father, I can also look back a decade or two and see that you have been at work in me. Father, I pray for every believer here that they too, that they would not be fearful of running to you. You are the same gracious God that forgave Abraham of giving up his wife more than once. If you forgave him, you can forgive us. But Father, I pray that you would also encourage us, that you would help us to see that we're not who we used to be. There is fruit. And God, I pray in that, that that fruit would not produce pride in us, but it would produce humility. For the sanctification, the the progressive, ongoing working of holiness into our lives is a work of you. Father, I pray that we would believe that we would trust, and that we would follow you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.